Hi, and welcome to Make It Make Sense with Sareka Thanendra Dharaman, a podcast that aims to demystify the less than transparent publishing industry by talking to authors from historically underrepresented backgrounds. I believe that the more we make sense of how things work on the inside, the less we feel as though we're on the outside. Because learning from other authors, editors and agents that have made sense of their journeys should hopefully inspire many more to embark on their very own. Each week, I'll be asking a new interviewee the things they've made sense of in their careers, as well as anything they'd like to make sense of for fellow writers. Today's guest is Ria Kurian, Editorial Director of Orion Publishing, which I mispronounced for the entirety of that episode, but I think I've got it right now. I feel really lucky to be able to pick the brains of a commercial editor with the level of experience and knowledge that Ria has garnered over her career. We speak about how she entered publishing without any contacts or previous networks, and one of the best pieces of advice I think a publishing hopeful could hope to hear. We touch on how to deal with rejection, one of our favourite topics for this podcast for both writers and publishing folk, as well as the importance of finding your tribe. Lastly, we touch on one of the topics that I think a lot of writers these days, especially querying writers, are curious about, and that is becoming a brand or the requirement to be on social media. We speak about ways in which to do this if that is what you so desire. It's no lie that I myself am quite private, aside from hosting a fairly public podcast, and don't use social media, but she does give us some really easy, practical tips and advice on how to give it a go. She talks about this from a writer's perspective, as well as those wanting to enter the industry and those within. Two notes, I'm just getting over a round of COVID, so my voice isn't where it should be for this episode, and probably a few others that are coming up because I recorded a few within this week. We also had a few issues with the internet connection, but hopefully you'll power through because this one's worth it if you want to hear from a woman who had no connection in an industry that is fueled by those that do, but was so proactive in forging a path for herself and isn't shy to admit where and when she had a helping hand. Don't forget to check the show notes because Ria also gives us some great organisations that help and mentor people from historically excluded backgrounds. Enjoy. Hi, Ria. Uh, no, I'm good. <laughs> I just did one. <laughs> Do you know that's a nice little blooper? <laughs> After asking how to pronounce your name properly, let's do that again. Hi, Ria, and welcome to Make It Make Sense. Hi, Sareka. It's really nice to be here. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. It, you are our uh, first guest for season two. We were meant to talk uh, on season one, but I had to cancel, and I'm so grateful that you've come on as our first guest for the second season. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here, honestly. Thank you. Um, I normally start off by asking our guests what they wanted to be when they were younger. I think when I was younger, I actually thought I wanted to be a writer. Ah. (laughs) Um, And I did do some writing and some scribbling, and that's pretty much what my entire family thinks I should still be doing. But at some point, I just realized that all the reading I was doing and the fact that I do like writing 
and I do have quite like an analytical approach just made me a better editor so at the moment no plans to become a writer okay so did you ever try to go down the path of writing or you knew out of uni when did you go down the path of becoming an editor so I tried writing a book when I was about 12. I did write a book. It was terrible. I hope it never sees the light of day. Um, but after that, I kind of gave up on it. I thought I wanted to be a counseling psychologist, actually, okay. until I did my A-levels, which um, for which I did psychology, biology, maths, and English just for fun. Mm-hmm. But I had this English teacher who was magnetic you know when she spoke you leaned in she was that kind of person and one day she was marking my essays and this is like after I decided like I had decided the course I was going to be Dr. Rio Kurian like it was all settled (laughs) and she was marking an essay one day and she just said you're going to do English at uni aren't you and I was like yeah I am you know and suddenly it just clicked yeah and as soon as it clicked I was like but what would I do with that um and I'd never realized publishing was even an option until Mm. Like I sort of stumbled onto it. And when I told my parents, they were just like, God, this is perfect. So I was reading six oh. a week, you know, so yeah. it just made sense. <laughs> they were like, yeah. you can actually do this for a living, so why not? Yeah. And when you say you stumbled upon it, how do you mean you stumbled upon it? Well, I, I think I was looking for careers with an English degree. So, you know, like if, you, if I did English at university, what careers could I go into? And I knew I didn't want to be a teacher. I just didn't like think I don't really know how I found out that publishing was a thing and I didn't want to be a journalist either mm-hmm. and then I found it and then I just was like okay yes this sounds perfect and I started doing internships right away so in my second year of university I did a marketing internship with Collins, and my third year I did some internships with Penguin Random House back when they were separate even when I was meant to be writing my dissertation I was actually at an internship so I wrote my dissertation in a week which was possibly oh. like the worst week wow. of my life <laughs> I'm sure wow a lot of um, Lucas <laughs> but you know it it worked and um after that I started working at Harlequin pretty much two weeks out of university so okay. it was a good like stepping stone okay and when you say you were doing internships, you said that you had done um, an internship in marketing. So you weren't directly mm. going into editorial. You wanted to try different areas or was that just by chance? Yeah, I think there were two things. Like I was either going to be marketing or editorial for me. Um, and I went into the marketing internship. So I did that. And the next work experience placement that I got was also marketing at Penguin. But I had this amazing manager or like line manager at the time who was looking after me and she took me aside and like we sat down and she was like look you're already good I was like I'm really enjoying marketing but I've always wanted to try editorial mm-hmm. and so what she did was she put me in touch with some of her colleagues um who she used to work with well she got me to speak with an editor and that editor like referred me to some other people this is back when you still could do that <laughs> yeah. whereas now we don't allow that because like the chances for nepotism are so high. yeah yeah um, sure. <laughs> at the time it was just sort of uh she said to me and so did the editor that I spoke to we all needed a hand to get into this industry so wherever we can we we put the hand back out when you're at starting out it's not just about like meeting people who are higher than you because that that actually right. doesn't you know who are um uh anyway who are like you know maybe at like editor or whatever stage it's the assistant stage I have made so many friends who later on have come back you know to 
help me and me to help them like whether it's referring me for a job or etc you know um just meeting meeting people and just forging connections is so key Mm. okay that's really I, i will definitely put um in the show notes a link to creative access because i think that's a great it's true there wherever there's an opportunity to network and meet people i'm sure that um always helps within this industry um another you... one actually sorry yes. another great um charity such organization is art emergency i think it's called or emergency i can't remember um I will find it one second. It is, I, so I mentor someone through that who's just starting out um, arts emergency. Yeah, that's what they're called. So you can like mentor people through that. And so it is again, like getting people from marginalized backgrounds into your industries and like just being there while they're going through the process, like helping them through interviews, et cetera. So it's, you know, again, that is another option if you're trying to start out and you're looking for some help, sign up. Yeah. And also a great option for people within the industry to also link to, Um, because obviously that's just as important. Um, Could you tell us a little about your shift in roles? Because um, you can tell us what you started, what the role was that you started in, but um, you've, I'm assuming, gone from editor to senior editor to editorial director. Could you tell us your uh, trajectory, but also what um, the shift in roles brings for you kind of on a day-to-day basis, what that difference is for you? Sure. Um, so I started off as editorial assistant, I guess, like maybe if I work through the, the mm. levels that will help. So it goes editorial assistant, assistant editor, editor slash commissioning editor, senior commissioning editor, editorial director, publishing director, publisher, MD. So those are the, the levels. Mm-hmm. And I started off as editorial and I'm now editorship, I suppose. Um, and I'm currently editorial director at Orion Fiction. So I started off, you know, very much what I've always done is women's fiction, commercial fiction, like across all genres, like that has always been my thing. And that's been the strand throughout. So when I was at Harlequin, which later became HQ to then um, Headline and then Head of Zeus. And now here, it's always been the thing that really excites me. Um, also finding new voices, like diverse voices is really key to me, but not just, you know, like baby voices for sure, but also like LGBTQ voices. Mm. Like I really want to just see, have more people see themselves in fiction. I think that is mm. so important. And I'm finding at a stage where I can actually affect change, which yeah. is you know really exciting. Um, so day to day in terms of what I do, I guess the difference between an editor and an editorial director is just slightly more, you know, strategy. So it's like the strategic side of things. Um, I was brought in to relaunch the digital first list initially, actually at um, Orion. So it was called Orion Dash. And that was how I started off just to relaunch it. Um, And I did a lot of work on that last year, but kind of over the last few months, my role has expanded and well, this year has expanded. And now I'm working more across Orion Fiction, um, which is been really really fun because obviously what's great is being able to work with all the great teams that are within a right marketing and publicity and you know that's been really fun for me um you just never know my role will always change I never thought I'd get here you know I didn't know I'd end up in this position um and it's just been very much like a see where my life takes me you know what opportunities come up and just doing your best no matter what 
Mm-hmm. Can we go back and talk about um, digital first Orion Dash? Because I don't know that many people know exactly what that means when they step into um, publishing. What uh, what does that uh, mean? Yeah, sure. So I think like digital first kind of sprung, you know, right after the the big Kindle boom when ebooks really like became a thing and like people weren't, you know, the big traditional publishers weren't really competing in that space. Um, because you wouldn't price promote at the time. Like, you know, we had we were very strict with what we would do with Amazon, etc. But we knew that there was an audience and we knew that there were people who really just wanted to read in this format and wanted better deals, I suppose, as well. Um, and it's just thinking about like digital first essentially means that the main format. Whereas in traditional publishing, the main or first format might be a hardback or a paperback. In digital first, your first format is the ebook. And that is the main format that you're prioritizing. So everything when you think about like strategy, when you're thinking about covers, when you're thinking about packaging, when you're thinking about like the marketing, it it's a totally different way of publishing a book because you're not thinking about like traditional marketing. You're not thinking about publicity is not as big with, with digital first. It's just not as necessary. And also the limitation is, is that um, newspapers and magazines still require you to have like a paperback or a hardback in order to even be considered. Okay. So um, that is still something that people are working on. But instead, like what you've got is this massive readership who just want to know from the package like exactly what the book is it is like the most commercial fiction it is being able to say like this is the book it's a rom-com or it's a historical book or you know all of that and what it makes you really good at is covers it makes Mm -hmm. you really good at like getting to the hook of a book immediately and it makes you really good at copy because that's all you've got initially yeah Yeah, and so it's a good thing and so how do you decide if you're commissioning, how do you decide something is a digital first book or title over a traditionally published hardcover paperback? It just depends on like the pitch, you know, and what I think where it's going to get the most traction or where I think like it will actually be best for the author to launch because it's not necessarily the case that an author is best launched in paperback. Sometimes actually like building your name, like building your brand and, you know, building sales in ebook before moving into this, into the other formats can be really beneficial. Mm-hmm. It's a good way for people, for you to establish demand before you have to do things like that, et cetera. And does it ever, does a digital first title ever then be, will it ever be published in paperback if it hits a Every digital first publisher is different. Um, they offer different things. So sometimes, but what most people tend to offer and what we also offer is print on demand, which is not a traditional paperback. It is like a service that Amazon and Lightning Source offer where you literally, when you get an order, they print it then. So the margins, you know, it is not something that, that publishers do for monetary gain. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. Because, you know, we don't make a lot from doing that. It is more a case of author care. It's like for that uncle who, or or grandmother who doesn't read an ebook you know yeah them but what we want to do is prioritize the ebook but Mm -hmm. when authors make that transition is when we can see that there is real demand for um, a paperback and when we when we can see that it's very easy to shift it's very easy to just move across so that's happened with one of my authors where we had such high pre-orders for the pod that we were like actually we need to make a print run. Like we have to put this into print in order to meet that demand. And that was really exciting. So, yeah. you know, you just, it's just being very reactive. Right. 
Yeah. Digital first publishing is far more reactive than traditional publishing. Sure. You're also much more trend-led and the, the lead-in times are very short. So mm-hmm. whereas when you are picked up by a traditional publisher, you might be published in, you might be published the next year or the year after that, or even sometimes the year after that, which is like very far in advance. Whereas digital first, you're usually published within about six to eight months, six wow. to nine months. Yeah, mm. okay. So, yeah, that that ties into being reactive and trend-focused, I guess, that you want to get that title out as soon as possible. What is it that makes you click um, when you read a a manuscript? What I'm looking for in commercial fiction, because we have a lot of, like, literary fiction, but also some commercial fiction that is very, when it comes to diverse publishing, is very um, trauma-focused, right? It is very, it's very much about struggle. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's very important, and we do need those stories, but we also need the balance, which are those stories of joy, and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, all of those things are also really, really important to see yourself in. Mm. Um, Otherwise, you just think that that's all our existences are like I I never feel like my life is a daily thing of like oh it's me against the world because I'm brown you know that's not it's not real life (laughs) Mm -hmm. so I think um that is something that I do look for but it's not the essential thing essentially what I'm looking for is commercial fiction it is like books where I think there is going to be a readership for them or I think Mm -hmm. like we mm, you know I can really see it so when I'm reading a book what I'm looking for is can I visualize the packaging? You know, that actually is a very good test for me. So could I, one, do an elevator pitch? Am I able to say, for example, you know, I might say a book is Suits Meets the Double Worst Prada. And you kind of know what that is, don't you? Mm -hmm. So if I can like do a one-line pitch and I can think about the cover, I can maybe think of title, I'm seeing where it sits in the market. And if I have all those things in play, I'm like, this is a definite yes. Mm. Um, because also when I'm, it's not just that I love the writing, which is important, but like if I love the writing and I really love a book, what I have to do next as an editor is take it to our acquisitions meeting mm. where I'm speaking to sales, marketing, publicity, and the MD who do not care that the writing is lovely. Mm. What they want to know is like, what is it? You know, where does it sit in the market? Um, and how do we, like, how do we publish it? So mm. those are things I have to really think about. Mm. I think it's always interesting for writers to know that process as well. I know that when I, um kind of stepped into this I didn't realize how much that next step matters Mm. as well as you know having a good story but also exactly what you said that pitch and the whole package where you need to speak to other departments in order for that to um for that to go through um it's it's just from my perspective whether that's right or not is not the case but more that it's great to know or it's better to know that that is also part of the process which I don't think people you know realize so so early on in the process no I think you know that it is key um that authors know that because it's not just a case of like oh the editor didn't like it or the editor didn't value it etc it's a case of like we have to get buy-in from the entire company Mm -hmm. and that is of benefit to the author because you have to have the entire company on board Mm -hmm. in order to really publish a book well right and like until you have that kind of support from every single department within a publisher it's very difficult for a book so 
I, you know, as an editor, I want, because I'm so passionate about every single project that I take to acquisitions, I want that passion to be shared by all the teams. Mm-hmm. And spreading that passion is part of my job, but also if they don't have it, they don't have it, mm-hmm. right? And I would be doing a disservice to my author to publish them if that's mm-hmm. not there. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Um, I wanted to ask before we move on to your three things, because we're kind of stepping into that a little bit, but um, what in terms of success, I mean, I think this is a hard question to answer maybe, but what constitutes as a success in books when you've gone through the acquisition and you're looking at the other side of a book launch, what constitutes a success? Is it um, the sales figures? Is it uh, how an author has um, been presented or debuted? Is there a way you can answer that or is that just each one is different? The measures of success for every book are so very different, right? So even if we talked about sales, it's like, which channel are we talking about? Because sometimes, yes, you might be like a bestseller across all channels. So you might be an Amazon bestseller, a Waterstones bestseller, a supermarket bestseller, um, a Smith's bestseller, you know, but the thing is often those things are not you don't often get all of them so Waterstones book is not necessarily a supermarket book Mm -hmm. for example you know what they what works in different markets is different but we would have kind of at acquisition stage but also as we get closer to publication figured out which channel we really want this to work in so maybe it is like an Amazon that we're focused maybe it is like a book that we really want to work in Waterstones and just getting Waterstones Mm -hmm. on board and really excited about it is a marker of success or maybe it is that we're pitching to all the supermarkets and we get one or two but we get all of them you know you never know um that's again just like already a success it's not even about the sales yet it's just like mm-hmm. we have nailed the channel that we are going for um two success can be reviews like you know people really loving the book and connecting with it a word of mouth sensation um it could be prizes that you know authors are winning um it can be anything and what i always say to authors is it doesn't have to be a success right out of the box, right? Because that's not what we really go for. There are so many authors where you can see like it maybe they haven't had that huge, you know, especially as a debut author, you, you think like it has to be a success right away. But sometimes an author will have published like two or three books and suddenly it's their like fourth book that is a breakout. And then suddenly all the other books do well. Or it's something like TikTok with Colleen Hoover, you know, where... <laughs> something else has just brought her to the fore and suddenly Mm. you're just seeing her sell millions. So um, what I always say is everyone's trajectory is different. You know, what matters the most is just that you have been published. That is already a marker of success. And two, it's like finding your authors. I mean, finding your readership, that is the most important thing. So as long as we are getting you in that direction, we've nailed your packaging, we've got you to the people that, you know, we need to get you to, um, that's success. Mm. Okay. And do you think that, um, from my perspective on the outside, it feels like debut authors, uh, feel a lot of pressure on their, um, the launch Mm -hmm. of their first title, but what is your perspective on that? Yeah, I think, I think with debut authors, what is appealing is it's the completely blank record, right? So when you're thinking about um, 
what can be tricky with like authors who've had a few books that maybe have had more to sales, et cetera, is then when you approach like a supermarket or when you approach a retailer and you say, this is a new book, if they haven't had success like throughout, then what happens is it's a trickier conversation and you have to work a little bit harder mm-hmm. to um, to say like, this is the book. And often what we think then is like, how do we reignite this? Or how are we saying like, we're doing it differently if it hasn't been what we wanted to be in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but with debuts, it's a blank slate. So it's like, you know, you can just go in and be like, we are all really excited about this title. It's a big debut, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but the authors themselves shouldn't feel pressure because it isn't you know you've already done the work Mm -hmm. and even if you didn't perform it's very rare that we pick up just one book from a debut author Mm -hmm. I think you'll notice that it's usually like two books Mm -hmm. uh contracts and that's because if we've picked you up as a debut author we believe in you and we want to build you and we know that's a long game like it's Mm -hmm. not something that you know Again, like I said, we don't necessarily think every book is going to be a big breakup, but sometimes we'll buy a book and we'll say, but this is somebody I want to continue to work with and grow, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why we take those two big deals is because like we know that there's potential for you down the line. Might not be this first book, but we believe in you and your writing. Mm. That's good to know. Um, I want to move on to your three things that you'd like to make sense of, because I think they're really interesting. And you mentioned when we were talking about it before that it, it all of these three things are relevant for both publishing hopefuls and writers. Mm-hmm. Um, but your first one, which is a common one that's spoken about on this podcast, but is it? so yes, but I mean, I don't think anyone would complain about hearing um, anyone's perspective on it but uh, your first point was that rejection doesn't matter and it leads you to the right place can you tell us what you mean by that so I'll start with the writers and then I'll go on to publishing yeah. falls um with writers like so you know when I was saying how when we as editors take it to acquisitions and mm. we pitch for it etc what you want from the outset, like what you always want is one, if you have an agent, and always great to have an agent, is an agent who completely believes in you. So if you're like querying agents and you're getting loads of like rejections, et cetera, it's okay because you really need your agent to be your champion in the same way that you really need your editor to be your champion and you really need your publisher to be your champion, right? So the people that rejected you, if they had picked you up, they wouldn't do a good job with your publishing because they don't have the passion necessary to Mm -hmm. differentiate you from all the other bazillion books that they're publishing. Mm -hmm. So when you do eventually find the agent, the editor, the publisher, that matchup, that synergy is when the magic happens. You know, when you have people who are really excited about you and are able to to see the future, have the right strategy, um, really will do everything that they can to make that work for you. And again, it's it's a win-win, it's a business, right? Mm. So obviously I want you to be successful because that what, that's what makes me successful or the company mm-hmm. successful. So mm-hmm. um, at that point, you do want somebody who just gets you. And mm. until you find that person, it's okay. None of the rejections matter because they were not the right people. Mm-hmm. They didn't have the right vision. And also what you can take from them are learnings. So, you know, you always get learning. So every every like rejection that an, an author might get from an agent or an editor, usually we have some form of feedback. We're saying like, this is the reason we're turning it down. And you can think, oh, okay, so this is how I need to reshape my proposal in order for it to be um, 
comfortable or you know etc like whatever it is like whatever work we're suggesting so those are the learnings you can take from it um and eventually you will just get to a point where you have something that is super strong and you find the right fit and then everything goes on from there mm-hmm. um with publishing hopefuls what i always say is like i right, like applied to like hundreds of internships and jobs before I got the few that I did you know like I just they don't even send you a rejection letter or they don't send you an acknowledgement that you've like applied because we are just so inundated with applications um for example when I hired my assistant who is incredible her name is Sana um when I when we hired her we had 750 applications for that job all of which I read (laughs) so you know when you think about that it's like you can't feel bad about it you just have to persevere yeah yeah. (laughs) you know same with submissions when you think about it there are so many like don't even think about it like you just move on to the next one and you think it's okay there's somebody out there who's going to see me for what I am Mm -hmm. and again it's that synergy thing right so once you get to the interview stage it's not just what you know and how good are you what you do it's like how do you fit into the team and that's really important too so yeah, it's all of those things. Um, so I always say to publishing hopefuls, don't be despondent, like just keep trying. And eventually you will get in there. And once you get one foot in the door, it becomes so much easier to do the rest of it. Yeah. I mean, it's true. It's it's a hard thing to hear when you're not getting very far in the process. Mm-hmm. But it is true that you do need persistence for one that's commonly said within this industry but it's also true that you need to be conscious that maybe rejection leads you to the place that you're meant to or the team that you're meant to step into or um, whatever it might be Um, do you having gone through it yourself when you were applying for internships is it something that's close to you for you to remember when you have those 750 applications sitting for you to i'm guessing that's why you read through all of them but is it something that even at this stage do you experience it in any way or have you just been you know was that something that you experienced in your early start of your career um, I definitely remember it in the early stages when, for example, so one of the things that I applied for and, um, just as I was about to graduate was the HarperCollins like, graduate scheme. And I got to like the final four and then like didn't make the cut, um, wasn't the one who got the job. And then I joined Harlequin, who were bought by HarperCollins that same year. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I ended up in HarperCollins. So, you know, that's that, that's just like a funny little thing. Like, I knew when I walked through those doors, I was like, I'm meant to be here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and somehow it just happened, but it didn't happen the way that I thought it would. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like I said, it's just a case of at every place you get to, you know, who the connections that you make are the ones that end up like shaping your career along the way. So that's definitely the case for me. And I'll come back to that with the second (laughs) point that I was going to make, um, which is find your tribe, unless you had any questions about the first one. No, I think that's a nice segue into find your tribe. Go ahead. Find your tribe. So I'll do the publishing bit first for this one. Um, like I said, when I was at Creative Act, like through Creative Access, I made a lot of great, like, I met a lot of great people, but also throughout my career, I've just, I think like forging relationships and keeping them is extremely important. So I remember 
there was one person who, when I was an assistant at Harlequin, she was an intern. And then, you know, years later, she put me forward for a job, you know, um, and uh, her referral, like, just helped me stand out at the time. Um, also, somebody, so I at Harlequin Sash um, Hub Collins, and then I actually left the industry and went into charity for a couple of years because there were two things that I I loved I always loved books and people mm-hmm. and I knew like before I started kind of climbing the ladder I wanted to explore um, the charity sector and just see if that was right for me okay. turns out I miss books too much <laughs> <laughs> but um, with my second job I um, with my second job I had I decided to start from scratch and I was like I'm gonna go join I joined headline and I want you know as much as all the rejections I got I got way more rejections trying to come back in than I did the first time around mm-hmm. um were just saying you know I'm too experienced etc and I was like well I can't go for the next rung up because I haven't been in the industry right. um but while I was again an assistant um a few months in somebody that I worked with at Harper Collins um years ago mm. she got in touch with me and she said look I'm now editorial director at head of Zeus and she was like I want you to come join me as commissioning editor and I was like what <laughs> I was like why <laughs> you know I, I almost just dismissed it uh and she was like just come have lunch with me and I was like okay but this is all very odd and I was very happy at headline um but you know I interviewed for the job and when they offered it to me I spoke to my managers and they were like well you have to go for it because Uh, that's that's stupid not to go for it (laughs) and when I joined um head of Zeus as commissioning editor I was very aware that I was taking two steps up and so what I did was reach out to creative access who at the time had just started their mentoring scheme Mm -hmm. and I um, was very lucky to be matched with Katie Espiner, who's now like the mm-hmm. CEO of um, Poda and Orion. And she mentored me for a couple of years and I learned so much through that experience. And um, also when the job came up at Orion, like, you know, she um, put me forward for it. And so, and again, <laughs> it was me going from commissioning editor and skipping wrong and going into editorial director. And I was like, I can't do that. Like I would never have applied for it, right? And she was like, well, they were like just give it a go um and so I like once I did the interview process and I had to do the task for it right. I was like oh I could do this and I'd really enjoy doing it you know um so like finding the people who believe in you and you right. can see like I have been given like hands so much um and so that's why I really believe in like doing the same um and those people have completely changed my career because I would probably still be assistant (laughs) Uh, but also I mean you also took quite a proactive step so am I to understand that when you were invited for the job at head of Zeus it was two positions up but you contacted creative access in order to find some sort of mentorship that was something you did yeah yeah Yeah, so I think that's quite proactive to also you know there's there's a sense of you know step into a role but you also wanted to find a way to help you through that to help bridge that gap of what you might be missing and I think that's also really amazing to make yeah. sure that you're prepped and as ready as you could be thank you I mean I think that that is important actually to like be aware of your weaknesses and don't be afraid of them mm-hmm. and there are so many people who want to help this is an industry of people who want to help each other that's the nice thing 
And I did the same thing when I joined um, Orion, because again, I was just like, huh, I need some help. <laughs> um, you know, it's like all very well to be like, I'm amazing and just be like, but I was like, no, I actually do need uh, some help with this. I'm going to turn that off. Um, and so what I did was reach out to the MD of um, Bookachor, Jenny Jarras, who was really kind. And, you know, she was like, we don't normally have direct approaches for mentorships, <laughs> but she was like, all right, fine. Like, let's start. Like, let's start. And I was like, great. Wow. And we've been, we did that for like about a year and she really helped me. Mm-hmm. And finally, um, this year, my team referred me for something that um, Hashat do, which is the really great scheme, which is like the diverse teacher leaders scheme mm-hmm. where they match you with a member of the board Um to try and like you know help you etc and mm. I have been matched up with the MD at Headline um, Mary right. Evans who is also just wonderful mm-hmm. so you know it's like you can just see that there are so many people who want to help and they are yeah. all senior leadership um, and it's just being able to say hey you know this is something I'm really passionate about mm-hmm. how can I be the best that I can be and what do I need to do that mm-hmm. so find your tribe what would you I mean I am just thinking for people who are listening to this and it's clear that you are also quite proactive but also you've held on to connections and tried to forge connections as well for people who don't feel maybe who are starting out early who don't feel as confident um, to do that or unable to find the right avenues is there any bit of advice that you could offer um, I think it's the same thing as like, you know, when I was saying um, it is not just like you don't need to have a mentor right away. Mm-hmm. Right? There are schemes available. Almost every single um, publishing house, I think the big three, we all do or the big five. We all do um, these schemes where you can apply for a mentor. So even as an assistant, you can apply for a mentor. Um, I shall have quite a few schemes like that. And that's something that you can do but what I always say is it's not just about the senior people the people who started with me are the people who helped me so Mm. the person who helped me um get back into the industry was that intern that I worked with when I was an assistant and she put in a referral for me at headline um and I didn't get that assistant job but I ended up getting another assistant Mm. job and I guess like that helped you know Mm -hmm. um and obviously the person who ended up hiring me at head of Zeus she was actually my replacement when I left. She just had a very meteoric rise because she's very impressive, mm-hmm. um, Anna Smith. And um, she, you know, she was my junior. So it's like, it is not just about like, oh, who is the person who's going to help me climb up the ladder? No, it's yeah. just like, who, is, who are my people? Because at some point we will be working with the same people again because it is such a small industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't look above, just look where you are at your peers. Yeah. And focus on that yeah that's that's such a good note as well and I should say that a lot of this must also have to do with how good you are at your job and how you are as a person because I'm sure people aren't referring and um, emailing you if uh, if that wasn't the case so I, I, I think that's <laughs> such a nice bit of advice to also um, and it says a lot about you and your working um I guess the way you work that to to look around you and not just as you said people um in more senior positions because I think that's such an interesting note that not many people talk about 
Mm. Yeah, I mean, you just you don't you just don't know. Mm. Um, but also, it just makes working so much more fun. It's yeah. not like it was not all strategic. I yes. find the idea of like strategic friendships really distasteful because that's <laughs> not genuine, is it? It's like it's funny the people that you like talking to. We're in an industry who yeah. all, you know all love reading books. Like, yes. what what's an easier way to bond with someone? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, don't be don't be strategic because that mm. people can tell and that isn't very nice. Mm-hmm. It's just like genuinely wanting to forge connections and then that takes you a lot further. Like my best friends in publishing were the people who I was an assistant with, you know, like they, and then they have just gone on to um go through the journey with me and it's the same it'll be the same for authors and when you're thinking about like okay, how do I network like how do I get to know people what if I don't go to festivals and mm-hmm. stuff it's also you read a book and you love it and you just message somebody on twitter or on instagram and you say god I love this book or you post about it you know and you're just being genuine because you've read it and you have actually really enjoyed it mm-hmm. and that could lead to something that you don't know where you know like mm-hmm. It's those little initial things that you do that is just making sure you're looking outside of yourself because that is something you have to do in this industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. It is true that it is sometimes hard to find those networks as well. But I know that on Twitter, there's um, there's definitely groups that run writing, like impromptu Pomodoro mm-hmm. sessions and writing groups and um, things like that that can help you connect online. Um, where you don't have to you know have any commitment but it, it's a place for people to yeah. come together and do what they enjoy doing so yeah you're right you have to look a little bit sometimes maybe if you're not mm-hmm. attending conferences or courses but um, yeah that's a good note. Facebook too is a really good place and mm-hmm. um, there are lots of groups on there so would I would say like a lot of writers tend to join Facebook groups mm-hmm. as well um, but yeah I think that's really 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 key mm. Yeah, it's a good note. It's also, I think it's key (laughs) also because it's good to speak to other people when you're, I think it's an industry where as a rider, you come across a lot of turndowns or rejections or whatever it is. And it's just good to have a space to also talk that out and um, find a little hope around it and also to be, um, to find support uh, in those times as well. So yeah, I I totally agree that that's uh, that is something that helps. Okay, I'd like to move to the third thing that you'd like to make sense of, and I'm really intrigued by this because I think it's something I would struggle with to make yourself a brand, um, <laughs> which for me is really from a writer's perspective, it's really interesting because I know there's lots of Um, writers out there that question whether they need to be on social media or whether they don't need to be on social media and maybe that's not even what you're going to talk about but what does it mean to make yourself a brand and also what does it mean for people that are more private and not so comfortable with being a brand I guess Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the things that we always talk about, like when I say, if we pick up a debut author, for example, if we sign a debut author, um, we're thinking about building a brand from the outset, right? So we have a, a vision for you. We're thinking like you are this next person in, I don't know, like the women's fiction space or the, the historical space. or like, we have a very clear thing that we will share with you and we'll say, this is what we're thinking for you. And that will become much more, 
clear when you see the cover for me I think that's like when it becomes really clear for an author is like when you see the package um, because until then it's like it's very abstract but once you get to the final package you're like oh I see where you're taking me um, and this might not be the case by the way in literary fiction I'm very much talking about commercial fiction mm-hmm. um, and so when you kind of know that as a writer like okay this is where I'm at because we'll also ask you what's your next book idea right mm-hmm. like so what are you writing for the next book and pretty much what we are hoping that you are writing in your second book is something similar to the first because we need to be able to say mm-hmm. if you read this book by this author this mm-hmm. is what this is the experience that you're going to get right might not be the same story but this is the experience that you will have reading this book and the sooner we can establish that and the sooner you can establish that um the better for you because then you're saying okay and you know that's very reactive so it might be that you know you need to see and we need to see how that first book is playing out like initially so what the response to that is and if we need to change it we change it but if you can if it's working or if you can see that this makes sense for you and you want to build on it from the beginning if you are part of that vision and you are also thinking of yourself as a brand in the same way that your publisher is that's going to help you down the line um, mm-hmm. when you're thinking about like, okay, so for example, if you saw a book by Colleen Hoover, you know what that book is. If you see a book by Taylor Jenkins Reid, you know what kind of experience you're getting. Mm-hmm. So if I'm seeing a book from you, what's the experience that I'm getting? What are you promising me? Mm-hmm. And I think that really helps. Um, you know, is it an author who makes you think? Is it an author that makes you happy? Mm-hmm. Is it an author that um, sends chills down your spine? Like whatever it is, make it very clear in your head who you are and where you sit in the market. And as soon as you know that, it's easier for us to know that too. Mm. Um, And I think the other thing is, you know, with social media, yes, that's a question we get a lot. Um, You know, is it important, et cetera? Um, People also ask me, do I need to have a website? And I say, you don't need to have a website because essentially what websites used to do before social media was just somewhere Mm. that people could go and look you up right and find you and have access to you as a person but also to your like a bit more about you and your books etc and that's basically what social media has become is that personal connection you don't have to be on every single platform it is a very time um fucking exercise right like trying to be on different platforms um it is difficult to do so just pick one where do you think that you know you're um, your readers are going to find you and like where are you going to feel most comfortable posting mm-hmm. I would say you probably want to go with either Facebook or, Inst- or Twitter Instagram is lovely but it depends on what you're writing um, I think it's better to be on something like Twitter because you can it's more easy to talk mm-hmm. um, it might be that you know you want to set up on TikTok because why not because everybody's mm-hmm. trying to get in that space um, but you know I think Twitter is often the easiest at this point to mm-hmm. just get going um, and when I say build your brand you know something that we tell debut authors or I, I did we did at um, Head of Zeus is like maybe you don't you don't want to just have your page be buy my book pre-order my book here's my book you know because that's very boring <laughs> and no one wants to follow that what we what people are looking for is 
who are you as a person, right? Like, what are your interests? And if you if you find that's like just too difficult a question to ask, or you know you don't want to put your entire life on social media, which by the way, please don't. Um, <laughs> it's thinking three things, maybe just three things that you feel very comfortable talking or sharing about. It could be a pet, it could be a hobby, it could be, you know, um, any kind of interest that you have, mm-hmm. where it's like it's something that makes you a person and not just a writer, right? It's approachable. Um, and then just sharing that, like sharing snippets of your life without like getting too personal is very possible. Mm-hmm. But it's just so that people are finding the person and they that's what they warm to. That's why they follow you. And that's why when you do say pre-order my book, they're like, yes, I want to pre-order that book. Not just because they enjoy the experience of reading the book, but also because they like you or are interested to hear what you have to say. That makes sense. And is this also relevant for publishing hopefuls in terms of making themselves a brand? How so? So I wouldn't say necessarily, yeah, it can be publishing hopefuls. I would say professionals at large, right? So no matter what stage you are in your career. So if you're trying to get into the industry, like it might be that you have something like a blog, you know, that where you write about books, you might have a bookstagram or a book talk or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you you show like what kind of books that you read and what your taste is and what your take is on them. Um, all of those things can really help you. One of the things that they liked at headline when they hired me as an assistant is that I had a food blog, not even a bookstagram, a food mm-hmm. blog, where they could see my writing and they could see like how mm-hmm. I thought, you know, and those things like just put me set me um apart Mm. and it's that kind of like hustle as well Mm -hmm. um and that can be part of it but when I say like make your brand as a publishing professional it is like very much the case of like you know um I know what my brand is right like I know like the kind of fiction that I work on so when we talk to agents for example um as an editor when you go to agents and you have those meetings the first thing they ask you is like so who are you like what are you looking for like what's your list about and you have to be able to say these are the things I'm looking for you know this is my taste um etc and that's something that's really really important and that's why like the agent editor relationship is so important because they know what I want mm-hmm. I know what they have and there's like that that match that happens right mm-hmm. um so I need to know exactly what I want to be publishing and the sooner you know that in your career the better like you don't have to be an editor to start thinking about it I tell my assistant to start thinking about it you know so I'm always like Sana like what is it that you want to go into publishing like and you might not know that right away but the more you read and the more you get along in your career the more submissions that you look at and pitches that you hear you kind of get the sense of like huh, that's something that really interests me or no, I don't want to do that or that's something I really enjoy reading but not something I want to publish. And that's a distinction that we make too. Um, and also, you know, what do people expect from me? What are, what sets me apart from like some of my colleagues, for example? So I think like you probably have already caught on but like I have a more of a people connection, right? And I know that's what I'm, what I what I have and what I can offer people Um whether the agents or authors or anybody it's like I can give you myself right and like genuinely give you myself and so that's something that I I think about um and also my market knowledge I know is very good because I read so much um and I can take pride in that there are lots of things I'm really not as good at um in comparison to my colleagues like who are probably much more organized or I don't know who um are better at dealing with 
certain stresses, etc. But I know what makes me good is my market knowledge, my people skills, and um, my real love for commercial fiction, mm-hmm. um, and the ability to do a good package. So that's my brand, right? Mm-hmm. So I think like, when you know what your brand is, you will be better in interviews, you will mm-hmm. be better at securing right jobs, you will be better at like making those connections is because you know yourself and how you're presenting yourself before you go out there again always be genuine (laughs) but that is something to just think about because what you put out is what people see yeah 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 it's interesting I you realize that watching you know the titles coming out by certain editors but it it really is when you you put it in the reference of a brand it is quite intentional what books you're acquiring and what books that you're publishing um, Mm -hmm. so that it fits within, as you say, your brand. Yeah. And also, you know, the reason we have to have those things also is because it might be that there are a few different people within the same publishing team that are Mm -hmm. sort of crossing over in terms of what our tastes are, et cetera. So even like, you know, I work with a couple of other people who commission women's fiction. And so we have to, in our editorial editor booklets or when we're pitching to as like a group to agents, et cetera, we say, yeah, she does this side of it and I do this mm-hmm. side of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we have to be very specific mm. um, and that's branding. So, yeah. yeah. And d- d- that specificity, does that change as you've moved within your roles or have you just honed more within, for instance, women's fiction and um, the area that you always kind of gravitated towards? Oh, no, it definitely changes. It changes all the time. That's why we have like quite often do refresher sessions with agents and things mm-hmm. because it's also market led. So I'm looking at, you know, as an editor, I'm looking at like what readers are responding to, what's trending, um, what I don't have on my list right now. Mm-hmm. And that's something we constantly think about is like, what are the gaps on our list and what don't we have that we need to get? Mm-hmm. Um and so, yes, my, my wish list is always changing, but the areas that I'm looking at are more or less the same. Okay. I think it's been really interesting to also listen to how proactive you are in, in your field, but also how important it's been for you to make those connections. And um, I think that is something that will leave people trying to enter the industry feeling like they don't have connections at the get-go, that there are other ways to um, form them through mentorships and so forth. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't have a single connection before I joined the industry, you know? So it's like, it's once you get in there, um, what can you do? And I, w- I would just want to say, um, if you're a publishing hopeful and, you know, you think the way in is like meeting publishing professionals, et cetera, that's not necessarily the case. It's just, yeah, let me give this one last piece of advice, actually. So like, for example, going to London Book Fair and meeting people there, I, I think it may have worked for some of the people. It doesn't necessarily work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the way, you don't necessarily want to network in that way. What you want to do instead is in your application, in your cover letter, in your CV, show me that you know, the publisher right so that's what sets on apart is like she had read some of our books she knew um she could tell me what kind of that she really did love commercial fiction because the amount of applications I got where it said I don't read commercial fiction I was like well then why are you applying for the job yeah. <laughs> it's like being being intentional 
um saying like this is actually what I love to do and that's why I want to do it a lot of people say you can just get into publishing and move around you can to some extent but the sooner that you are I would always say like apply for the jobs that genuinely interest you Mm. because that's how you're going to go further and that is how um you can like set up on that work of like building your brand and like Mm -hmm. working on the things that you want to work on you know going up like going forward and things may change but the closer you stay true to yourself Mm. the better that journey will be Mm -hmm. is there anything else you wanted to add before we finish up I mean you've given us so much not that I need to mine you for more and more but I'd happily if you had anything else you wanted to end on I would just say um uh you know what somebody's you know said this to me recently like because publishing is not always an easy industry to be in whether you're an author or an editor or an agent you know it's it is tough it is tough there are lots of highs and there are lots of lows and you know you go back and forth and um it's a lot of like multiple balls in the air etc and it it's just a case of someone told me this is finding the joy and celebrating the wins and it doesn't matter how small the win is Mm. celebrate it right because if you don't then it like everything can feel small and you're working towards this like big goal of like whatever success is to you Mm -hmm. but if you don't celebrate the little wins like whether that's just like a really great review or Mm. a request for the full or you know any of those things you will find it really difficult it is hard to go on and as an editor like if you don't celebrate like oh yeah this author has got like you know 100 really high reviews Mm -hmm. that's a win and you have Mm -hmm. to celebrate it or you will just feel like you there's nothing to keep you going right Mm. so find the joy celebrate the wins celebrate yourself and that's the only way you're going to survive (laughs) that's that's a really good point I mean it's um it's really important I think because that's really how you can negate or combat that kind of constant uphill that you sometimes feel or the rejections Mm -hmm. that come through I think that's a really good note to end on um so thank you Ria it was so lovely speaking to you thank you thank you for all the insightful questions and sorry I just talked at you the entire time no that is my favorite thing If you enjoyed this episode of Make It Make Sense with Sarika Thanedra Tharaman, I would love if you would rate, review or subscribe to the podcast to help others find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to Make It Make Sense.